0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, senior editor at Billboard and musical theater fan extraordinaire here. So the idea of immersive theater is a very common one in performance in general lately. Basically, it means that a show is being presented in a way that feels more immediate and tangible to the audience than the traditional setup where the audience is in seats, the actors are on stage and never the two shall meet It's most common, I find, to see an immersive setting at shows that are totally new, like the mega-popular Macbeth reimagining Sleep No More in New York, uh, and less so when it comes to the kinds of shows that are regarded as sort of sacred classics that don't need any uh, strange touch-ups. Like, say, Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd, the dark and darkly comic musical about a barber hillbent on revenge who partners with a quirky London pie shop owner to, shall we say, make the idea of murder delicious. You can all laugh accordingly now. Uh, Sweeney Todd is considered not just one of Sondheim's greatest works, but one of the great masterpieces of musical theater period, which would ordinarily make me think directors would be loath to change anything about it. But in recent years, it's actually proven to be ideal material for inventive staging. Uh, The most recent Broadway production actually had the actors doubling as the orchestra, playing instruments and singing on stage. Um, And the current production playing in New York's West Village at the Barrow Street Theater is an import from London that I feel confident saying is unlike any musical you will see right now. Uh, The theater itself has been transformed into a kind of grimy London pie shop. Uh, Much of the audience actually sit at long dining tables. And if you get there early, you can actually have a meal of traditional pie and mash before the show even starts. And the actors perform throughout the theater, jumping on tables and getting quite up close and personal with the audience. I would advise men who look like they could use a shave from Sweeney to maybe watch out. Uh, For a show that's often treated as so grand that it's on the level of opera, it's a very refreshing take that actually works really well. It makes kind of the tragedy and the extremely clever comedy of the story feel incredibly immediate, and it's also just a lot of fun to see Broadway-caliber actors in such close quarters. I've seen the show twice now with two different casts, and I'm certainly not the first to say it's one of the most unique and really well-done musical experiences running right now. It will be up through August 26th, but it's had so many extensions that I wouldn't be surprised if it runs even longer than that. But that said, well in advance of that date, I was really happy to have the lead current cast members on the podcast to talk about the very unique experience they have in the theater doing Sweeney Todd each night.
1: Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd.
2: His skin was pale and his eye was odd. Shave the faces of gentlemen who never do we again draw the few he trolled, and it's
0: really I'm going to start this by saying what I've wanted to say since I had the idea to do this podcast this is the Sweeney pod
3: oh. you may all fall
0: over now <laughs>
2: very good
0: <laughs> yes but um and now the podcast is over uh, <laughs> so why don't you go around first and tell us who you are and who you play in the show?
3: Hi, I'm Tom Sesma, and I play Sweeney Todd.
2: Hi, uh, Tom. Hi, (laughs) Todd. Tom. Um, I'm Sally Ann Triplett, and I'm um, Mrs. Lovett. Uh,
4: I'm Billy Ty, and I play Anthony Hope.
2: I'm Delaney Westfall, and I play Joanna
1: Barker. I guess that's
5: my last name, right?
1: Don't tell me I'm not supposed to know. (laughs) And and
0: you're all fantastic. I saw the show actually for the second time. Um, I saw it the first time last year and then saw you guys a couple of weeks ago. And it was very interesting to see how things kind of change with a different cast and
2: a we different right? vibe in the theater. <laughs> They're
0: all great. I like, <laughs> it's honestly been a while since I saw it the first time. So I was like, these guys are fantastic. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was I had a different seat. I wasn't I was right, at one yeah. of the like. Uh, pie shop tables the first time, and then I was a little bit farther back this time, so it was an interesting, different perspective.
2: Also, um, not so much twisting and turning on the old back. No,
0: no, and this time Tom crept up behind me once, and I did, like, a jump scare <laughs> when you came from the back of the house. Oh, yes. The point, yes. Oh, my gosh.
3: It was That was, that was last Saturday, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, I think... I think,
3: I think th- Two other people who were sitting near you just, just also went up and hit the ceiling. It they was, were, they yeah, were scared.
0: I, I jumped in my seat for sure. Good. <laughs> Do you take different paths different times?
3: I can't tell you that.
0: I? I mean, I could,
3: but I'd have to kill you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is already so mysterious.
3: <laughs>
0: well, I mean, this is... Clearly a completely original take on the show, and I was wondering, before you auditioned, had you all seen it in the space, or what did you sort of know about what you were getting into in terms of doing Sweeney Todd involving running and jumping on tables?
1: (laughs) I mean, I had not seen the production. I knew that it was acclaimed, and I knew I had friends that had been in it or had seen it, and they all said it was amazing, and it was so innovative and new and cool, but I had never seen it until we started rehearsals. And then I, my mind was blown. <laughs>
4: uh, I'm actually the same. Uh, this is the first production of Sweeney Todd I've ever seen live. I had only ever seen the, uh, the tape with Angela Lansbury. Um, so it was, it was really amazing and uh, to, to see Sweeney Todd at all live for the first time and to know um, when I saw it that I was going to be a part of it was, was really special.
2: It's not like the tape.
4: Not at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what about you two? Um, I, I auditioned for it without seeing it and then I didn't get it, and then I saw it, and then a year later, I auditioned again, but then I'd seen it, and now I'm in it. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: I was asked to audition for it, so I went to see it, and um, I, my mind was blown. I think like most people in the theater, I, I most people, I don't know, um, I, I know Sweeney Todd pretty well, at least I, I thought I did, Uh, and then I watched this production, and I swear I didn't know what was gonna happen next. It was so different, Um, it was so surprising, Um, so courageous, you know, uh, in in, in the telling of it, that uh, it really took me by surprise.
0: Completely, I, I mean, one of the things that's most striking to me is that, I think for Sweeney Todd in particular, the characters are so iconic, and if you've seen many productions of it, you think of each person as being a certain way and then when you see it on such an intimate scale as you do in this production so many more individual elements of the characters I think creep out like you're a completely different Sweeney than the one I saw before and you it just seem like you were born to play Mrs. Lovett basically uh, <laughs> But, but <laughs> it, In my DNA being a,
2: a Cockney girl yes, completely. <laughs> You're
0: believable uh, but yeah I mean I, I, I because it's just on this very different scale I mean do you feel like you're able to sort of bring more of yourselves to the role in a way that maybe you couldn't on uh, you know a huge Broadway stage
1: definitely I feel like the subtleties and the I I, I don't know I feel like with me in particular I get a lot that you know people when they see this production and they they try to understand the role of Joanna they forget about her or, or she's not very memorable and something that I have tried to do is bring my quirkiness and uh, weirdness and (laughs) I don't know to it and I feel like that's been more successful and and it's been easier because we're allowed to be more subtle and we're allowed to be more real because the audience is right there. We don't have to be on this huge stage making large choices so the back of the house can see it and I love that.
4: I I found that the, the space allows for a lot of honesty in a way that we don't typically get to work With on a a bigger Broadway stage, and and that has been really refreshing and also challenging because you know when you're doing the show eight times a week, you and your audience is less than a foot away from you. You're held accountable to that standard of you can't get away with any BS in front of them. Like they see everything, so everything has to feel natural and feel real without crossing into performance. And I I think Mm -hmm. that's finding a fine line between what is. What feels like performance and what feels real, and that's been that's been the greatest challenge and the greatest reward of working on this production mm-hmm. so far for me, at least.
3: Yeah, I think that uh, um, it, it was really interesting coming into a show that has been running beautifully for a year, um, and so we're sort of being—I um, don't want to say shoehorned—we're we're, we're being poured into this template, and uh, our brilliant brilliant director, Bill Buckhurst, didn't just want us to be satisfied with being in that template. Um, We had to grow, we had to do, uh, we had to bring our own individuality to all of these roles um, and rather than expanding outward like you would in a big giant production he just kept asking us to dig deeper dig deeper dig deeper into ourselves and into the characters and um, I think he was fairly success- successful I think that's that's a lot of what um, I'm feeling and I hope it'll, it's what the audience is seeing is um, new discoveries that all of us, I think, are making almost every night with these characters, you know, that's just part of this brilliant text.
0: Completely, it it certainly can't ever be boring. It seems like the kind of show that, like, you start at the beginning of the night, and then it's not over until it's over, or at least Mm. until the end of the act, it's like a merry-go-round that, like, once it starts going, there's nowhere to hide.
2: I was going to say that if you're in a big theatre, not that you should ever kind of get away with anything but I remember Tom and I saying early on oh just wish we had a fourth wall tonight you know somewhere <laughs> we, we could slightly hide um, just for a, just to mix it up a bit but there's no hiding and um, as you just said it, once it starts it goes and we just never know what form it's going to take and I think that's what makes it um, it's kind of exhausting but but brilliant at the same time because you never know what, what the audience is going to give you they may give you kind of nothing, and then you have to kind of slightly have a word with yourself, don't you? Sometimes, some right. some nights, and kind mm-hmm. of go, okay, that's how it is tonight. Um, and other nights, they just literally scoop you up and throw you around the room and it's just different every single time Mm -hmm.
3: you know in the theater we always give lip service to the idea that the audience is another character Mm. Um, and that can be in a 2,000 seat theater or can be in a small theater with 130 seats in this in this case it's really true the energy of the audience the personalities of the audience really inform the playing of the play uh, on a nightly basis Um, I'm not saying it's different uh, it's a different show you're seeing, but um, the, the tenor of the play is different. The vibe is different. It's really cool sometimes. Sometimes it's a little harder. There was a, a
2: little a girl in last night. She, I think she was about twelve, maybe thirteen, and it was her, it's her favorite musical. And she, very normal. For she was 12 kind of twelve year old. Yeah, yeah. I know. Morbid twelve year old. She was kind of all dressed up, and she had um, big bunches, kind of sort of lover-ish style yes. with black lips. Well. And uh, and she, she yes. knew, <laughs> she had warned me before the show because we all go out and chat with people. And she said, I know every word of this show. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> and, it, and because they're so close, um... You know, I kind of had to kind of almost put my hand up at one point to not see her because of, I thought I was going to go wrong because you can just see everything.
1: Well, she, I w- wasn't, she wasn't just saying the words. She was giving you a full performance.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: and hoping that we might notice as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we might pull
4: her up and say, you know what? Why don't you, why don't you take over yeah, for yeah, this first? <laughs> we,
0: yeah. we need a miniature Mrs. Lovett. You yeah, <laughs> exactly. have the right hair.
3: Dinner a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy who was sort of, he was conducting. Um, oh,
0: my God. Uh, he was right. in D, oh, yeah. sitting yes. right at the front. Yes. He was
3: so into it. He wasn't singing along. <laughs> singing along, fine. Go, sing along. Go ahead. I don't care. Don't conduct. Air Please. conductors <laughs> are the
0: worst. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. As someone who used to play in orchestras, there are like people in orchestras who like to air conduct, too, and it's like so confusing. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> well, I was curious how much of sort of the faces of the audience you can see. And I was thinking of the fact that, um, like you said, it's so different every time you see it. The second time that I went, this most recent time, I was struck by how much of the humor kind of came out of it in a way that didn't the first time I saw it, that it really is quite a funny show, even though it's also very sad and heartbreaking in other ways. Um, there is a lot of dark humor in it. Um, there was this was like middle-aged couple sitting next to me who I was convinced maybe they were tourists who were like, this seems like a fun thing to do tonight, and I didn't quite know what they were getting into. They were hysterically laughing so much in the first half of the show, to the point where I was like, are they making fun of it? And then I saw that the woman was like, mouthing along to all the lyrics. So I was like, clearly these are fans, and they're just ignored, like, enjoying the, the humor of it. I mean, are you have you picked up on that, that people are digging into that side of it,
3: or? Yeah, certainly, sometimes. Um. Weren't we just talking downstairs about (coughs) being surprised at how many people know this show so well? Mm -hmm. And then, conversely, being surprised at how many people don't know anything about Sweeney Todd. So it's a real joy to be able to, you know, dig into those different signs.
1: They've kind of warned us that we've passed the year mark, so kind of the the diehard fans or the ones that have come several times are, like, going away, and we're getting new, just like newcomers. Like, first time Sweeney Todd... Or tourists, or, and so I think that will make our experience even more interesting because, mm-hmm. like we've already experienced, one night we'll have the greatest audience mm-hmm. in the world, and the next night they will not make a peep the entire show. So, I don't know if we have that to look forward to or. Yeah. <laughs> to write about. You
3: know what? It's not just Sweeney Todd, though. It's also we have a lot of people coming to the theater who have no idea what. Uh, site-specific site-specific yeah. terminology means or immersive terminology means you know they really don't they're really surprised by the fact that that we're inviting them to be engaged into the play
2: yeah I had some friends in and um, on, on our on on the kind of evening when Sondheim was watching and I had loads of friends in yeah and I had like 12 friends in and one of the friends was an American she's a a billionaire, I mean she has so much money, and they came in and they had the pies and she went, this is great, where is the stage? And my friend had to say, well, we're kind of, we're in it, we are, we're in the stage. Where? Like, there, like in front, you know, it just was, she couldn't, couldn't grasp it at all, but
0: loved it, yeah. How did you get through the night that Sondheim was there?
3: You know, it was funny. I, I, we had been running for a week, right? We had had like a week of preview performances, and and then then himself comes. Um, and I think for me, there was still so much to do. There was so much to learn. There was so much to get right. That this still was, is in a way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's crazy. Um, that was distracting enough to keep me out of the Sondheim yeah. consciousness <laughs> for a lot of the play. Uh so that was that was helpful I think it would be more uh, scary if he were to come back now
4: yeah I, I think so too yeah. I think I was more n- distracted by the fact that we all had friends and family in the audience and you know they all know me they all know my tricks and the things that I I can throw into shows and and I felt more pressured to put on a show that I felt like they would be proud of than Sondheim if that makes sense
1: yeah I was really nervous but for some reason, right before I walked out for my song, I got this like wave of like really positive excitement that I mean, I felt like I had one of my best performances. and I think that there was just such a wonderful energy in the room because we had so much family there. And we know he loves the show. He wouldn't be here if he didn't. He's come like six times. So, oh my God, I, I don't know. I felt I, it was just an honor. It was it is something I will remember for the rest of my life being yeah. able to perform his material for him. It was just amazing. It's really <laughs> thrilling.
3: But you know what else is crazy? Because it's such a small place and, and the way the show was lit and the way it's staged, what I was saying earlier about the audience being another character, the audience is watching the audience. Yes,
0: you know, totally. You, you can be in
3: row B and you can be watching the people's reactions in row D, almost like their characters in the play. Yeah. And so that night a lot of people were watching Sondheim to see yeah. his reactions <laughs> It's nice. His reactions were good.
0: I was going to say, I've seen him watch his material before and he, he laughs. He reacts just like everybody else. He doesn't, he doesn't try to remove himself from it.
5: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns, but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's LinkedIn.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply.
0: I mean, this seems like a good point to step back a minute. What do you think it is about this show, which premiered in the late 70s, yet I think still feels so contemporary and so relevant, um, still gets produced all over the place every year. What is it about the music, about the story, that you think just continues to appeal to audiences?
2: Gosh, it's a hard one to answer, isn't it? I mean, my daughter absolutely loves it, but she loved it even before we saw it last year. And she's, you know, at the time she was, I guess, 14. I don't know if there's a... Um, there's a danger in it. And for young people, there's lots of kind of, there's lots of there's stuff on the telly that they like to watch that's got that element to it. <laughs> um, the music um, is phenomenal. You know exactly where you are and and when it's set and, and, and the timbre of the piece and what it's gonna give you. And um, actually underneath, they're all, they're just normal people that are all kind of looking for love maybe in a crazy demented way yeah. but um but they are just all normal they're just all normal people i guess there's something to you can relate to
3: yeah you know when i first listened to the uh to the double album it came out on vinyl yes. 1978
4: <laughs> wow. what's vinyl
3: uh, what's vinyl um, i remember my reaction to it particularly when the end happened, which I didn't expect at all, um, I remember thinking, "What a timeless piece it was!" At that time, that, that uh, I, I don't, I don't know if people felt that way. You know, the first audience that ever watched something like *Death of a Salesman* or or *Romeo and Juliet*, <laughs> you know, if they sat there thinking, "Oh my God, I'm seeing something that that." That sets a new standard that, is, that will last forever that, that my grandchildren's grandchildren will be talking about but um, you know it's, it's that kind of piece um, it's so well written it's so deeply uh, thought out um, there isn't I know this sounds weird there isn't a lie a single dramaturgical lie in the telling of it it mm. never violates a truth that it sets out for itself. And, uh, and it makes it last in a way that um, that's something that doesn't have that depth um, will last. It's, it's kind of incredible. Also, it, it, you know, um, what Sally was just saying about th- they're just normal people in very desperate times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all just normal people. And the times that we're living in right now regardless of where you are politically are very very desperate and so i think and also we live in a time right now um where um vengeance which is a big theme of the show is looked upon as a virtue Hmm. for the first time in i don't know maybe human history um as opposed to a flaw so it does speak to these times very much um but it does so very artfully and in a very very entertaining way
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> agree then so you all have been on broadway before on very big stages and i have to think that doing this show in particular which is i i assume so challenging musically um from a vocal standpoint um in this space how what kind of different sort of like dramatic and vocal recalibration is necessary for you like how do you prepare to sing and also do all this physical activity and also be aware of every little thing around you and like not trip and fall.
4: (laughs) I don't know. I feel like that is something that we're still very much discovering. Um, Sonically, it's such a different experience than anything I've, I've ever done. And everything is strategic in terms of how to place things and where to place things. You know, we're, we're constantly aware of which walls to, to sort of aim our sound off of so that things aren't lost in the doorways oh, yeah. or in the hallways or in the stairwell. Because we're not
0: mic'd, right? Because we're not mic'd.
4: We're not wearing microphones at all. And we are oftentimes holding our own part. And it's Sondheim music, so it's <laughs> it's dissonant. And it's all over the place. And it's it's really difficult to, to harmonize with each other if we're not all listening. So I think it there's a nice combination of us all kind of having to like what you said recalibrate the way we approach not only how we sing but how we aim where we sing and how we sing together and how we work as an ensemble uh, in a way that's still a challenge I think still eight times a week it's still very difficult to figure out how to make it sound fresh how to make it sound healthy and how to Make sure that that product and that piece of art is the same for all eight audiences,
1: especially that eighth show, that Sunday <laughs> night show. Um, well, I I told the story before. I just think it's kind of funny with um, the accents in particular. I was I come from a sh- I came from Kiki Boots, and I had an, a week overlap where I was doing a Northampton accent at night during <laughs> Kinky Boots, and then I had to come do a standard British during rehearsals, and so that was kind of interesting, just like be able to switch my brain but also I had come from singing pop and belt for the past three or four years I haven't even tapped into this like classical side for a long time so that took some time and still just like feeling comfortable and and being able to get through the whole show without you know straining or, or feeling super tired is still a challenge that I'm trying to figure out
0: I was very convinced that you were actually British, so this <gasps> is a this so is a revelation much. to me. <laughs> Maybe I'm not good with British accents, but um, I totally expected you uh, to be the other British person here besides Sally. But oh no, <laughs> and I mean, what what about for the two of you? Because I mean, these are really almost kind of operatic roles for for both of you, and you're doing them in such a raw way.
2: Um, I think I think the thing for me is is um, when I go up to the fourth floor to have a kind of a warm-up and, and get myself ready, I, all I can really do is think about who I'm playing. And if I think about who I'm playing, I um, put my voice in a slightly different place and then that that helps me <laughs> to, um, most of the time, get through most of it. It's um, pretty tricky stuff and, and, and they are all over the place and, and the characters go in so many different places. Um and, and, and particularly Mrs. Lovett, it doesn't she doesn't just doesn't stop talking. so there's nowhere to breathe. And yeah. there's still so many places in the show where i I was like, "Ah just where do I breathe? But it's so character driven that um, I think I, I kind of go towards there first, and then I'm like, okay, right, okay, and then I, I start to warm up my voice based on that.
0: And does running up and down four flights of stairs every time. There's a lift.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, there's a lift. But it's in this amazing community centre, which has yeah. um, got eight floors. On the top, there's a big gym, and there's a they have um, there's a nursery on the sixth floor. Right. And back no when AIDS was first um, in our lives, it was the place where people went to talk to someone about this illness that they had it was it's very oh, wow. influential building and up on the fourth floor there's a picture of Amelia Earhart on the wall and I played Amelia Earhart and I'm always go up there and I'm always look at her picture and <laughs> get a little bit of inspiration in fact she lived there at one point she lived in that building wow yeah
3: I didn't know
0: know that. what a building that is building. I had no
2: yeah. idea
3: yeah it's That's a very so historic cool. community center it's really 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 great um
0: I never even thought about the floors above the theater floor <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. It's so funny to hear you say all that. That's exactly what I do. Is that's, it? Yeah. Do you know, it's crazy when we when when Sally and I started working together, we we, we kind of became fast friends right away. Mm-hmm. You know, because we have the same quirky sense of humor, we have the same insecurities, <laughs> the same, uh, and, and and to to a certain extent, the same approach to uh, rehearsing every day. Um, how how we would work step by step, and it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, that's how you break it down with your warm up, because that's exactly what I do as well.
2: I'm not sure I could sing it like me. I mean, I would, yeah. ha- you know, I would have a go, but it, it just... Yeah. Um. I always think... That I, I've only ever done one other Sondheim show, which was 1986, and um, I, I've carried songs through my life with me. There's one song called I Remember, which I've sung. Mm. I sang it three weeks ago for an audition. It, it stayed with me forever. But I always feel that Sondheim, he looks after you. He, he writes for singers and he 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 knows so much about the character that he knows that that character she wouldn't do that or he wouldn't right go there right so um, sort of once you've got your character I feel that he he will look after you and there are going to be some bits there's still some bits that I find so tricky but um, they are kind of written in a way to Mm -hmm. enhance who you're playing that makes sense.
0: Totally. No, he's, mm. I, he seems uh, very allergic to
2: phoniness. In, yeah, I mean, I feel that there are some writers nowadays that write things for the sake of a, a, a high note when it's not even necessary. You could end on a something else and it would, you know, be just as powerful. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why do we all need to sing the very, very high n- notes that, you know, only <laughs> four people can sing when, in fact... <laughs> It, you know, it's uh, just as powerful to do different stuff.
4: Yeah, well, and, and it, we're t- at the end of the day, we're telling a story, and it should be character-driven. And if it makes sense for the character, then it makes sense for the character. But if not, yeah. it's a departure, and all you're doing is... Now we're just
2: singing. Showing off.
4: Yeah, now yeah. we're showing off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, but it, it it's a departure from the purpose of what why everyone's there, to you know, fi- fall in love with this story and fall in love with something deeper than the notes on a page.
0: Yeah. Right. To sort of to this point too, I I am really struck by how amazingly the score has been arranged for this production, that it's like it's been I'm pretty sure stripped down to like the most basic, basic instrumentation. Do you have three, four?
3: Three pieces.
0: Three piece, pieces. And yet you really do get all the elements of the score in yeah.
2: there, which is like pretty incredible.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It's amazing how um, Ben chose the Ben that Ben Ben Cox. Ben Cox. He chose. Cl- cl- he chose clarinet, clarinet violin, clarinet. and piano. It's almost slightly klezmerish. Uh, almost in a yeah. way. Sometimes the, the I, I lie there dead at the end. I'm listening to the violin, and <laughs> it, but it is. It's got kind of a klezmer. How he decided that those it was those three instruments.
3: Yeah, I have no idea. It, it it's really kind of a work of genius.
2: Completely,
0: yeah. and it goes well too with the sort of, uh, I think there's like that sort of old British shanty feel to some, of the, um, to some of the music and I feel like those instruments are really well chosen for that too.
1: Yeah, yeah I feel like particularly, I mean, I've heard versions of Greenfinch and Bird with a full orchestra and it's beautiful, but I, there's just this connection between me and the violin and it's just, I just think it makes it some of the most beautiful Instrumentation of this song ever. I mean, the piano is there too, but I don't know. There's just really cool connection between me and the violin during that song. Yeah, and that's all it needs.
0: Well, this all brings me to the idea of: Do you think that this show is actually, in some ways, better suited to a space and an approach like this?
3: I'm, I, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd use a qualitative term like "better." It's um, it's different. It's um, it's going to be different for everyone too uh, who sees it. But for me, for this guy, um, <laughs> the guy in this chair in front of this mic, it's um, it's a deeper show, um, and it's about a, it, 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 it's about specific things that I have never felt when I've seen other productions of Sweeney Todd. Which doesn't mean it's better. It's just a different experience and i felt that way you know in july when i saw the show that it was that it was different i didn't know what was going to happen next and it took me on a it took me on an emotional journey that i wasn't prepared for which i think is why we go to the theater um you know we've all seen i said romeo and juliet earlier how many times have we all seen romeo and juliet you know and invariably in those best productions you're surprised at what happens mm-hmm. um you know you're you're practically on the edge of your seat saying, "Don't drink the potion. He's on his way, really <laughs> um, and i I would like to believe that we're doing the same thing here that for people who don't who who do know the show, um, they're trying to hold us back in whatever way they can, and for people who do know the show or don't know the show, they're on a ride that they they're just um, experiencing something brand new.
0: <laughs> I, I I have to say on the subject of audience members watching other audience members, I wonder throughout the show, have you ever picked the wrong bald man to like stare into his eyes and pick as you sort of pick them out for the user. Hey, yes. sir, sir?
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna happen. <laughs> it's it's um yeah, sometimes people. It doesn't mean that they're not engaged. Uh-huh. It just means they're not engaged in the way you want them to be. So it's taught me a lot as an actor to, uh, you know, to let go of my expectations. Um,
2: That's such an amazing moment as well because I get to watch him do that every night, and it's 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 the way that you go from you're almost bro- a broken man. Uh-huh. Into kind of jumping on the table, and I think that's it. I mean, it surprises me every night, and you know, people that've never seen it, and all of a sudden he's got he's a knife at their throat. <laughs> I mean, some of their faces, it, it's it's amazing. It's, it's
3: really crazy. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. you get people who are just too and uh, uh, really. Much more enthusiastic than you want them to be.
2: <laughs> yeah. that, that,
3: that guy last, last night. Yeah. On the oh end. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't. He was. He was going for his equity points. I think his yeah. wife <laughs> had a
2: word of them in the interval because she swapped places with him. Yeah. She was like, "Right, you're not in it." He was like out lines. he was like a
3: bad extra. Yeah, <laughs> he was a bad extra. He was a little embarrassing. You could you couldn't hate him for it though because he was just loving the play. Yeah. And I think uh, you know, I think he was desperate to get other people involved in the same way that he was involved. But.
0: What was he what what happened?
3: It was when uh Toby went over to um with the with the bottle of with elixir. With a bottle of Perelli's elixir. Oh, yeah. And this guy had a full head of hair, but he wanted he wanted to be played with, you know. He wanted he wanted Pirelli's like, uh, elixir, you know, poured on his head. He wanted head. to be he the magician's be assistant, did not he? Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was waving his arms and he was laughing, and he was talking to Toby while Toby was singing and not all of us all of case. us, had just turned into Pillars of Salt. We just <laughs> yeah. did not wow. know, it we were he, just all so happy that we weren't Zach at that moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He,
5: he,
0: he was the most extra of extras. <laughs> yes.
3: he, uh,
4: I also sat at that table for the top of the second act, which is for God that's good, and I'm eating the pie, and he leans over while we're singing the song, and he's like, there's privates in that pie. Uh, and I was like, just. It's like, okay, I'm. Uh, kinda, You've been listening. Kinda busy right now. Paid <laughs> 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 attention. Yeah. That's funny. Oh my god. You, never you just
2: never know. Well, I, it, it
0: seems that for the most part, people are along for the ride. Perhaps some a little more than you would want, but <laughs> so maybe that's a good problem to have. Mm. Well, thank you all for coming. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for yeah, jumping around.
2: Thank <laughs> Thanks. The history of the world, my sweet. Oh, Mr. Todd, oh, Mr. Todd, what does it tell? It's who
0: gets eaten and who gets to eat. And Mr. Todd, too, Mr. Todd, who gets to sad? But fortunately, it's all so clear But that everybody got goes out well with it. Sweeney Todd is running at the Barrow Street Theater in New York through August 26th. You can buy tickets and see more information about it at sweeneytoddnyc.com. By the way, the music you heard at the beginning of the podcast and just now is actually from the 2005 Broadway cast recording. Sadly, this production does not yet have a cast recording. If you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us lots of nice stars and reviews. You can always find me on Twitter at Rebecca Millsoff and on Instagram at down with R-M-M, Y-A-Down R-M-M. And you can use hashtag Billboard on Broadway to tweet about the podcast and hope to have you back next week. Uh-huh.